Good morning. I'm Marty Cates again, the associate pastor here at Sycamore. It's my privilege this morning to uh, open God's Word with you. If you were here last week, you uh, heard Sean um, announce that this kind of become a, a yearly tradition that we uh, look at our values and, our, and our, our vision. It's kind of like a, you know, a tradition unlike any other, some might say. I'm just kidding. It's just the masters. But the, um, it will take this time to, to remember what we're called to as a church. And he also fell on the sword uh, and, and said that we were going to do them out of order because he and I got our, our calendars mixed up. No, no, I got the calendar mixed up. Um, Sean has this wonderfully detailed spreadsheet that like lays out what we're, what's, what, you know, who's preaching and what the passage is or what sermon series we're in. And I have a notification that updates me when he changes things in it. And I didn't look at the notification um, when, it, when he changed it. And so as we got to the end of Ecclesiastes, I thought, oh, this is the last week of Ecclesiastes. Next week, Labor Day weekend, we'll start our, our vision and values. And I'll, I'll start with the first value, as Sean and I had discussed. And in that sermon, he said, next week, as we finish Ecclesiastes, and I said, oh, no. <laughs> I got my dates wrong. And so we're doing them out of order by my fault, not, not his. Um, but this morning, as we look at the, uh, the value of, of to live together, to grow and join together in love, to build in, remembering that our vision is to be a robust church that's united to Jesus, our community, and each other. But all of this happens in view, in light of the cross. That, that we as a, as a church, that we as Christians live in, in light in the shadow of the cross. That none of this matters without the cross. Our sins aren't forgiven. We're not reconciled to God without the cross. There's no resurrection without the cross. And so as we turn this morning to John 13, I want us to, to realize that even here in this passage, Jesus has the cross in view. We know he has the cross in view. He's had the cross in view since he began his ministry, right? In John chapter 2 at the wedding at Cana when they run out of, of wine, and his mama comes to him and says, they don't have any wine. And he's like, what has this got to do with me? My time has not yet come, he says. But here in this passage, he says, now. The time has come. And it's in view of the cross. And so if you would, would you uh, turn with me to John 13 as we're turning there? Let me pray and ask the Lord for his help and blessing. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to your word, expectant that you will be at work in it and through it. You have told us that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it cuts through bone and marrow to the very heart of man. And so may it wound us this morning that we would run to the cross, the only place we find true rest, true healing. We are reconciled to you, our creator. And so we pray that you would use it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 13, beginning in verse 18. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at, at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. And so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. 
And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. And so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. And when he had gone, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. And so as, as I said, we're gonna look at the value of to live, to, to join together in love this morning. And we could just look at this last little bit of, of John 13 where he gives the new commandment that we love one another as he has loved us. But we have to understand how he's loved us. And so we start back in verse 18 and we see throughout this passage that he, he through this view of the cross that he loves us, it's demonstrated for us in the suffering and the anguish that he will go through that, that it magnifies, it glorifies him and God the Father and that lastly it marks us out, that it calls us to something. And so here in verses 18 to 30, it, it demonstrates his love for us. Right at the very beginning here, he's, he's not speaking of all of you. I, I know whom I've chosen, he says. He knows whom he has chosen and the scripture will be fulfilled. Think about this, that, that Judas would betray him. He knew that when he chose him. You know, Judas wasn't the first choice in the, in the apostle draft order. He wasn't the last choice though either. Somewhere in the middle, he calls Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to follow him. To live with him, to walk with him, to pray with him to be a part of his inner circle that, that knows him intimately, to observe all the things that he would do, to hear him teach with authority like no one before. And we know that, that Judas is the one that will betray him. Jesus knew it too. And he invites Judas in to know love, to walk with him, to be with him. He does the same for you and I. He invites us in Romans says, while we were yet still sinning, he invites us in knowing that our faith will be fickle, that, that we will give up, that we will often continue to chase after the idols of our hearts, hoping that they can give us the fulfillment and the joy that we long for. And yet he calls us to himself. He demonstrates his love for us, even in his choosing of Judas. He could have said, you know what? This guy's gonna betray me. I don't want him. No, thank you. If you've ever been betrayed, I want you to think about that time and that moment and think, okay, if I could go back and, and undo the relationship and never have met them so I didn't have to experience the pain, would you still go through it all again? No, you would have nothing to do with them. Jesus, knowing the pain, knowing the anguish, calls Judas in whom he has chosen so that scripture might be fulfilled. And then he quotes this Psalm, the 41st Psalm, a Psalm of, of David, and he quotes it. It's a psalm that, that David is crying out to God. And he's crying out to God. And he says this in the psalm. He says in verse seven, all who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. David's the king of, of, of Israel. And we know that those that are in, in politics deal with, with enemies. They know that there's gonna be people that are gonna stand against them or speak out against them. We can just look at the political 
culture of, of, our, of our current time. I mean, the moment you declare your candidacy, people say some really nasty, ugly things about you, about your family, about even your dog. And that's how bad it is. So it's not unexpected that you're gonna have enemies when you're in a place of leadership. And that they would conspire against him, that they whisper in the corners and they, they, they desire the worst for him, they desire evil for him, they desire for him to die. He might, he might be done with. And, and, and even in that, it gets worse. It gets worse. And then the, and the verse that, that Jesus is quoting is here in verse nine where David says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Even my close friend who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, we don't see you know, quite the significance of this. right? We eat all the time with people that we don't like. You got a work associate you got to have lunch with because you got to have a work meeting. You, know, you might even have family that you don't really like, but you know you got to invite them over for Thanksgiving. But we dine with people out of, out of different reasons. For them in the ancient Near East to invite someone to your table, to share the bounty of your table with them, was to say to them, you, you're a reconciled friend. There's a loyalty and a brotherhood and a relationship that we have, and this table signifies it. Come and eat. And then in, in your response, going and eating of their bread and dining at their table says to them, I agree. We're in this together. We're brothers. We're, we're, we're friends. And David's saying, one of those. That's why the Lord's table is so significant. It was established in a culture where a meal together meant so much more. And so when God's inviting us to the table, he's saying, you are my reconciled ones. You are my people. Come and eat of my table. And in response to him, we're saying, we agree. We are your people. We are loyal to you. It's, it's, a, it's a covenant renewal ceremony. And so Jesus, in quoting this, is saying that, that one of those close ones, one of those ones who I thought had my back, one of my day ones, one of my rider dies has betrayed me. And if you've ever been betrayed, you've ever been stabbed in the back, you know the pain and the anguish it is to have someone you trusted go behind your back and break your trust. We know that Jesus, just a few page turns from here, will, will go to the cross and he'll be, he'll be nailed hands and feet to it and he'll experience this, this pain and this physical anguish that we can't even begin to comprehend. It was the worst pain that a Roman soldier could visit upon his enemies. But that pain even begins here. It says his heart is troubled. His heart is troubled because he's about to experience the shame and the pain of betrayal. And so he suffers for us. He demonstrates his love for us that Scripture might be fulfilled by even inviting the one who betray him into his midst. It's not just that he demonstrates his love for us, but this is a love that, that is glorifying to him. It's glorifying to God. How could God be glorified in this, right? How could God be glorified in the ugliness of, of broken relationships, of, of betrayal? We hear that kind of language all over the place in our lives. Anytime there's suffering or sorrow or brokenness, any, anywhere that evil rests and does its work and disaster strikes and destruction comes, you hear, how could there be a good God? Just look at this world. Well, the greatest disaster that humanity has ever known happens in just a couple pages. As the one who was innocent, the one who knew no sin became sin, that we might be reconciled to God. And it's in that that God is glorified. So as Jesus is, is saying to them, now, 
as Judas is gone, as he's left the, the, the building to go do what he's going to do, Jesus says, now, now the Son is glorified. And the Father is glorified in him and will glorify him and will do it now. He's saying that because it's in this act, it's in the cross that Christ is glorified because unlike any other time in history, his love for us, his patience for us, his compassion for us is on display in its fullness as he lays down his life willingly that we might be reconciled to God. Nowhere else is the love of God displayed like it is the cross. But it's not just Christ that's glorified. It's the Father that's glorified. The Father's glorified because from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sin and he doesn't destroy them, he's got this, this issue of his justice that needs to be dealt with. And he promises throughout Scripture to, his, to the people in the Old Testament that they are going to be redeemed, that he's got a plan, and it, it, it's, it's being worked out. And they all die in hope and expectation in faith waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for this. Waiting for this, as Jesus says now, waiting for this, this clock to hit zero and the moment that, that God had planned to happen. That his love and his promises would be fulfilled as Christ lays himself out on the cross. Taking upon us the burden of our sin on his shoulders. They want to be forgiven. That God's justice in its fullness be satisfied. But that his love for us be poured out of the grace that's offered in Jesus. So he's glorified in it. His faithfulness, even to the point of, of putting his own son on the cross to fulfill his promises. So God the Father is magnified. He's glorified in the cross where his love for you is displayed without equal. Christ laid down his life not only out of love for you, but for the glory of God, the glory of his Father. And then lastly, it's his love that marks us. It says in, in verses uh, 33 to 35, it says, in a little while I'm going and you can't come where I'm going, but a new commandment I give. So I'm leaving and let me, let me leave you with some instructions. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's his love that marks us. It's not just our love for one another. It's, it's loving as he loved us that marks us as his. It calls us. His love calls us to the most meaningful life conceivable. To imitate the love of Christ. What does that mean? To love as he's loved. We've seen it in, in, in this passage. So it's a love that, that is self-sacrificial. Right, even as he's um, about to, to tell them that he's going to be betrayed. He's not throwing himself a pity party. When you're about to do something difficult and go through hard times and you know it's coming, you throw yourself a pity party. You go ahead and buy the extra pint of ice cream so you know you can get through it, make your way. Nobody else does that? No? Okay. What does Jesus do? He's not thinking of, of himself. He's thinking of you, of me. He looks at his disciples and says, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. 
as he's about to enter into his suffering, as he's about to, to go to the cross, he's already experiencing the troubled spirit because the betrayal is coming. Instead of worrying about himself, he says, I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you don't lose faith. I'm, I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, you don't go, well, Jesus wasn't the Messiah after all. Look what happened. Hope God's got a plan B. That God didn't get it done. And he's saying, I'm telling you this so that when it does happen, you will know that the scriptures are being fulfilled, that the words of David in Psalm 41 are true, that the, 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 the sorrow and the suffering and the shame that, that is experienced by the betrayal points to the fact that I am he. And so a love that we have for one another is a love that is thinking of others, putting them before ourselves, self-sacrificial love. It's God honoring and glorifying love. It's a love that's humble and selfless. Jesus says that if anyone would, would follow me, they need to take up their cross, right? And come after me. The cross is the very crux of our Christian experience. It's the center of our Christian experience. You can't possibly understand what it means to be a Christian without the cross lording over you. So what, what do we do with this? Well, it means that every way we approach one another, every way that we approach one another, we approach one another as if Christ approached us. Well, how did Christ approach us? We live in a world that is quid pro quo. Right? We, li we live in a world that says, what have you done for me lately? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And we live like this. We might want to think we live like this, but we do. In the moments when you get stressed and, and, you're, and you're tired and, and you're frustrated and your, your, your wife asks you to do something extra and you're just like, what has she done for me lately? <sighs> Wants me to do that? Do you know how much work is in that? Or your parents ask you to do something? What have they done for me lately? And we begin to go through this, this quid pro quo back and forth in our heads. That's not how Jesus approached us. He approached us knowing that we brought nothing to the table. He approached us knowing that the only thing that we brought was his pain and suffering. He entered in when things got hard instead of running away. And so when you've got those moments of, of quid pro quo going on in your head, the solution isn't to just say, well, stop doing that. The solution is to look to the cross. To, to go to prayer and begin to put together the, the quid pro quo with Jesus. Jesus, what have I done for you lately? And Jesus, what have you done for me lately? And just start making that list. And then out of that, understanding his love, you can begin to pursue and to love as he loved. It means loving people, not just tolerating them. And for most of us, tolerating, being tolerated by God would be enough. If he just put up with us, if he just had the patience to keep us around, we'd be like, this is great. This is awesome. But he does more than that. Jesus does more than just tolerate you. That's hard for a lot of us to believe because we, we, we have trouble tolerating ourselves. But Jesus does more than tolerate us. He dies for us. And in doing so, he says, look, I, I died for you because I want to be with you. I want to be reconciled to you. I, I want to bring you into my Father's house where there are many rooms. I want to spend eternity with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to walk again in the cool of the day as it was before. He looks forward to the new heavens and the, and the new earth just as we do when we're all together again. And we are his people and he is our God. 
So we have this love that he has laid out for us and it's out of that love that he calls us. It's this love that marks us. It's a love that says we do more than tolerate. It's a love that says when things get hard and they do, there's gonna be a time when somebody, it's part of the church calls you and says, hey, I got this really hard, terrible thing going on and I need help. And the first thing you're going to do is hang up the phone and call Sean and I. But this passage isn't about Sean and I loving you. It's about you loving you and me loving you and you loving me. See, when things got hard, God moved in, right? I mean, Christ the incarnate is a picture of that. He packs his suitcase and he leaves the glories of heaven to come here to what? To walk among us, to suffer as we suffered, to be tempted in every way and yet do it without sin. That's what we're called to, to move in, to pack the suitcase and say, hey, I'm coming. I don't, I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how messy it is. We can walk through it together. Why? Because of the love of Christ displayed for us at the cross. And it's the love, the love that we have for one another. If you have love for one another, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. That's key. Because we often forget that it's the love that we're to have for one another that marks us. And we think it's got to be, be our right doctrine. It's got to be our right political views. It's got to be the, the right kind of worship or, or this or that, our devotional life, our prayer life, whatever you might want to be that marks us as his. And what he says is, no, it's the love you have for one another. Now don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that right doctrine and good theology are, are, are not important. They are. Because they give you a right view of the cross. And it's out of that right view of the cross that you're propelled to love as he loved. But it's the fruit, it's that love that you're moved to because of the cross that marks us as his. And it's his love that compels us and propels us to do that. And so as we seek to, to live together, to be joined together in love, let us encourage one another to, to look and gaze upon the cross, to know more deeply and more richly the love that Christ has for us, that we might have a greater and more deep love for one another. We might live at our values to be a robust church, to unite to Jesus, our community, and to each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning rejoicing at the work of Christ on our behalf, of your great love for us, the love that's self-sacrificial, that expects nothing, a love that doesn't say that to clean up and get right, but a love that moves in in the midst of difficult times and hard times. So Heavenly Father, we pray that throughout this day, throughout this week, that each and every day and hour you would remind us of your great love. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, through, through those that you've put into our life, through uh, your word, that you would be whispering in our ears the sweet nothings of the gospel. That we might rest in your love. And out of your love, we might be propelled to love one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.